The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're talking to five successful lady marketers to understand how they've navigated their way up the corporate ladder to become some of the most prominent female marketers in the MarTech community. Joining us today is Katie Robert. Katie is the co-founder and CEO of Trust Insights, which is an AI, machine learning, and analytics data science consulting firm that serves the marketing community. Prior to her current role, Katie worked her way up from being a customer service rep to a product manager at a healthcare company and on to being the director of marketing for a communications agency before founding Trust Insights. Okay, here is our interview with Katie Robert, the co-founder and CEO of Trust Insights. Katie, welcome to the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm really excited to have you here and uh, looking forward to hearing about your career. Why don't we start off at the beginning? Tell us when you got into marketing. I got into marketing pretty early on. I've always been really interested in the behavioral side of data. Even from a little kid, I always wanted to know what makes people tick. Why do they make the decisions they make? So I think in some ways I've always been interested. I actually considered going into studying psychology in college, but decided that really communications and marketing was a better fit. So my first official role in marketing was when I was working at the health IT company as a product manager. I worked very closely with the marketing team and I just really enjoyed everything that that team was doing and looking at and researching and analyzing. So that's really where I fell in love with marketing. So the interesting thing to me here is that you had a marketing background during your education, but early in your career, you didn't start off in marketing. Tell me about your early career experiences and why did you go a different path than starting directly in the field that you studied? So I actually have a film degree and I started off in the TV, radio, film industry. My first internship out of college was at a production company outside of Boston. And then I really thought I was going to pursue that. At the time, I was 18, making decisions, thinking that it was going to be more interesting and more lucrative. But ultimately, it wasn't my passion. And I really feel comfortable behind the scenes, looking at data, helping marketers make better, smarter decisions. So tell me a little bit more about the journey. You mentioned that your degree was in film, and then you started in a different capacity. Connect the dots for me there. Sure. 
right out of college with my brand new fresh film degree, I realized I couldn't afford to move to New York. I couldn't afford to move to California. And at the time in the early 2000s, the film industry hadn't really come to Boston the way that it is now where a lot of movies are being made in the area. So the opportunity didn't exist and I didn't love what I was doing. So I abandoned that and I moved back home and took a job as a customer support rep for a background investigation agency, which was as unexciting as it gets. So you were pre-Goodwill hunting, so the (laughs) film industry hadn't got to Boston yet. Exactly. One of my favorite movies. And you mentioned that you were in a background check. What was the role? And that sounds like a total departure from film and from marketing. It was. It was the job that I had worked part-time on and off all through college. Whenever I came back home, they always had a headset waiting for me to answer phones. So it was people who were looking for jobs, people who were opening bank accounts. I would get the call from the organization and they would give me the information about the person to make sure there was no criminal activity, to make sure that they weren't doing illegal banking, fraudulent things. It was really, really uninteresting but it gave me the headspace to sort of figure out my next move. So basically coming out of college, you had a sense of something that you were passionate about in film, realized that it wasn't a place where you felt that you can make a living. So you decided to go take a J-O-B. And how did you transition from that first out of college work experience to what your next role was and starting to work in a more career driven role? I want to say it was all completely serendipitous and accidental. So the company that I was working at doing background investigations was actually bought out and was shutting down. So they gave all of the employees three months to basically find a new job or get laid off and collect unemployment. So at 22 years old, I was like, well, I guess I'll go find another job. And that's when I really started looking around at what I was good at, what I was interested in. And I got really lucky where I was able to find an entry level position at the health IT company as a product coordinator, which I didn't know what that meant, but I knew how to use Microsoft Word. I knew how to print things out. I knew I was pretty organized. So it was another stepping stone in my career. And fortunately, that was the company that I was able to spend just a little bit over a decade at sort of trying out every role, every hat, every job, and really learning and growing and understanding what I really wanted to do for my career in the long term. It sounds like we had pretty similar career paths early on. I had two jobs coming out of college. I basically worked doing door-to-door sales as my first job out of college. And my second job was working for a sports marketing agency, but I was really a glorified intern making essentially cost of living, not saving any money and not really building a career. And at some point, I decided to move back to the area that I grew up in, happened to be Silicon Valley, and I started working for eBay. And I spent seven years working at eBay. And that's really where my career started. Talk to me a little bit about why that role was so important to you. And what did you learn? You spent 10 years at the same company. Why was that such an impactful role? And why did you stay there for so long? I stayed at the company for so long because when I had started there, I was doing something very different from what I was doing when I left. So when I started at the company, I was actually helping run clinical trials for new products in the substance abuse and chronic pain realms. And the focus was on opiate use and abuse. So I was learning how to manage patient rosters. I was learning how to do hardcore data analysis on clinical trial data. I was learning all about PHI and HIPAA. 
But then as the company itself transitioned less out of the clinical research and more into product development, I got to see firsthand what it was like to do product development, what it was like to build a strategy, do the market research, run an engineering team, run a UX team. So I really got to get my hands in all of it. And that was one of the things that kept me there for so long was because it was always something new, something to learn, something interesting. And it was for what I thought a cause that was bigger than creating a widget or something. It was for healthcare and for improving people's quality of life. So this is really the start of your career where you're developing skills that are something that will help you down the road, right? You're learning about product management, you're learning about strategy, you're learning about customer development. Talk to me about some of your biggest takeaways from the multiple roles that you had. The company was Inflexion? Inflection, yep. Inflection, sorry, two X's. It was hard to figure out how to pronounce that. (laughs) No worries. So yeah, the company at the time was Inflection. I believe at this point they've changed ownership and they've been bought out. But some of the big takeaways that I learned at Inflection was how to manage a large group of people, which sounds very vague, but when you're dealing with a lot of people who are very passionate about the thing that you're building and they all come from a different background and they all have a different agenda and your job is to get one single decision out of a group of about 20 people, you learn really quickly how to manage up, manage down, how to communicate, how to be diplomatic, how to be fair. And those were the things that have carried me through my career to this point. Those were the strongest things. Anyone can learn a piece of software or something technical, but it's those softer skills, the people skills that I find to be the most valuable. So you're in the early stages of your career, let's say all the way, you were there for 10 years, so into the middle of your career. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like being a woman early in your career and developing these skills to the point that you're managing a large team. Did you feel like you were just one of the team members? Were you a minority member? Talk to me a little bit about how you thought about the role gender plays in your career from the early to the middle stage. It depended on the context. When I was working with the team of engineers, I never was made to feel like my gender was part of the conversation. I was just the person who was managing the process. But when I was talking with leadership, there were times when my gender did become not an outward point of conversation, but it became the title that I held or the skill set that I was perceived to have. Those were the things that were said out loud. But then I would look at other people in the organization getting the opportunities that I was looking for. Talk to me about what you think the difference between the perception of your skill set and the reality. Where did you feel like you were maybe being unfairly judged or even unfairly credited with skills and experiences that you did or didn't have? I think because of the difference in levels, we had some folks on leadership who felt like titles and levels were the end all be all of who you were allowed to speak to. So if you were quote unquote, just a project manager, then you were really only allowed to speak with your peers or your one single stakeholder. And then that one single stakeholder would then be tasked with carrying the message along to other members of leadership, which is quite honestly a mentality that I've never bought into. I feel like that that creates more issues in communication than not. And unfortunately, I was working with a few folks at the time who did feel like my gender was also something that was 
I wouldn't say it was a problem, but they made it sort of seem like, well, there's no other female project managers for you to talk to. So it's going to be a room of all men. So you can't be the only woman in a room of all men, like that kind of like old school mentality. Yeah, it's interesting. So in terms of the communication style, I can think back to my experience at eBay, where I was kind of in a similar career experience. I remember a friend of mine was relatively new in the organization. Let's call him a marketing manager. And the levels at eBay are manager, director, vice president, senior vice president, and C-level. And he was less than six months into the organization and decided to reach out and have a one-on-one with Meg Whitman, who was the CEO. And he was a very junior white man in the organization. And she was obviously the most senior person in the organization with a C-level title. She happened to be female. He happened to be male, unrelated to this story. But I remember that it was something where he needed to be prepped and coached by five different people because he had reached out to get to know the CEO of the company without really an agenda for the meeting. And then it turned into this big thing where the VP and the directors all got together to coach him. And really what he wanted to do was sit down with the CEO and ask what life is like as a CEO. I do understand that senior executives at large organizations are busy and they need to manage their time. So that's some of the reasons for these communication gaps. In an organization like the one that you were working in, why did you think that your gender was one of the reasons that you were faced with these sort of communication gaps? Was it really about gender or was it about you not being given the same opportunities or is it about just trying to preserve the executive management's time? I was fortunate that while I was at that organization, I did have a mentor who is female, who she had very quickly worked up the ranks and was on the leadership team. But she was the only female at the time who was on an all-male leadership team. And I know for her, that presented its own set of issues, her age, her gender. So the leadership team was comprised of older men. And they were never outwardly discriminatory, but the undertones were always there where this is an old boys club. It was started with men. We do value women in the organization, but we were never given the same open door policy, or at least that was my perception. I would imagine that they would probably say different, but I did struggle to find the same opportunities that some of my male peers were finding. That's interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about you're moving up in this organization and eventually out and into a marketing capacity. You mentioned you moved a couple lines. How senior were you in the organization and what was the reason why you decided to leave? When I left, I was a product marketing manager. I was really wanting to be on the leadership team. I had spent 10 years at the organization, but the organization was changing and it was changing hands of leadership the things, the values that the company wanted to do, I felt like those were changing as well. And there really at that point wasn't a role for me in terms of what I wanted to be doing versus what they wanted me to be doing for them. So I was feeling like I had gotten everything I could get out of the company and I was looking for a change. So that's when I started reprioritizing what I wanted out of my career. So you moved from working in a healthcare-related company and you started off sort of in an entry-level job, work your way up into a managerial role, and you're in product marketing now, so you're starting to understand customer development. You moved on to a communications agency. Tell me a little bit about that organization. What were your roles and what did you learn there? So I moved on to the communications agency almost on a whim, but I was looking for something different. I was looking for a new challenge. And I happened to have 
a friend who worked at the agency who at the time was one of the hiring managers. So she reached out to me. She had actually hired me at Inflection the previous decade, and she had since moved on to other roles. So I randomly got a message from her one day and it said, I'm not sure if you're looking, but we have this manager position open. I really think you'd be a good fit. We're looking for a strong leader. Would you want to come in and at least have a conversation? So I was open to it. At the time, it was to manage the marketing team. So I came and I chatted with her and then I chatted with the VP of the team. And I really thought it was an interesting role. It was very different from what I had been doing at the healthcare company. And honestly, I was game. I needed a new challenge. I needed to get back into a position where I knew the least and I really had an opportunity to learn and grow. And that's what I was able to do at the communications agency. I had no idea at the time what went into running a communications agency or what went on at one or what went into running that kind of a team, but it was a fun challenge. Okay. So really the reason for moving on was you were ready for a change, right? You were ready for a new challenge. You spent two lifetimes. I think of a career lifetime as a four to five year increment. So you were at your old company for a while looking for a new change. And and it was really about some of the relationships that you had cultivated at your previous role that got you interested in the company that you ended up moving to. That's correct. Okay. You mentioned that it was a woman that recruited you from your previous role. Did you sort of gravitate towards the other women at the healthcare company that you were worked in? Was there kind of a common bond amongst the females in that organization? Or was it just a happen circumstance that the relationship you had developed was with another woman and that's where you ended up following her to the other company? I think in terms of the hiring manager, that was just happenstance. We had become really close friends while we both worked at the healthcare agency and we had kept in touch even after she had left. So when the opportunity came up, she had already been familiar with what I had been doing since she had departed. So for her, she was looking for people who she thought would be a good fit. And I was fortunate enough to be one of those people. I think that there was definitely close-knit relationships among the women at the healthcare agency. Interestingly, the group of product and project managers, I believe, was all women. So that definitely added to that camaraderie. That's really interesting. So maybe this is just me making broad assumptions, but I feel like traditionally there have been roles that women have been pigeonholed with. I'll go back as far as you know the Mad Men era of marketing where women were just dropped in the typing pool and they were essentially made secretaries no matter what their skill sets or capabilities were. And I feel like as marketing has developed and there's become more of a mixture of qualified men and women starting at entry level, that there are some roles that have become predominantly women as opposed to other roles that have become predominantly men. Not specifically talking just about leadership, but in my experience, and maybe this is just me, and I, again, I'm trying not to make anybody upset, where I see a lot of women working in creative and brand and for some reason, specifically email and social marketing. And I don't think that there is a specific skill set that women have that men don't and why men would work more in other roles. Do you see the same thing that I see where there are some roles where women have either been directed towards or just naturally gravitate to? I can speak to my own experience. When I worked at the healthcare company, they did really try to round out the different disciplines with a little bit more balance in terms of diversity and gender. But I think what they always found, what we always found was that we primarily had 
women applying for the product manager roles, or we primarily had men applying for the engineering and database architect roles. And so they really struggled to find a more diverse group of candidates for those positions. So I don't know if it was circumstantial. I don't know if it was skill set based, if it's the area that we were in where at the time they weren't looking for remote employees. They looked for people who were physically in the space and that hiring pool just didn't exist. I have an assumption And I have no data or facts to back this up, but I think that it actually has to do with the educational system. There's a big push now to promote the STEM classes, science, technology, engineering, and math, Mm -hmm. and maybe even push it more towards like women in STEM classes, as opposed to, I think 30 years ago, when you and I were getting our education, I think that men were pushed mostly, you know, when you get into college towards engineering and more STEM-driven majors, and women were driven more towards creative majors. And my feeling is it's about comfort where your education or your background is, where men are like, hey, I went and got an engineering degree. And I am speaking very broadly. And I, am I going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> But I think that that's one of the big reasons why there was sort of this gap in terms of job functions that men and women have split towards, you know, post-Mad Men era into the modern era. It goes back into like, what's your comfort level, which goes back into where do you have some general education? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I went to get my master's degree, so I got my master's degree a few years after I had been out in the professional world. So there was a gap between undergrad and grad school. And I actually have my master's degree from an engineering school with a focus on marketing technology. And it was unbalanced in terms of who I was having classes with. So it was predominantly male. There were females in the class, but it was predominantly male. And it was predominantly Chinese and Indian students. So I was one of the only Americans and I was just taking classes up in Worcester. So I got my master's from WPI. And it was interesting to be the minority in that setting. Okay, so let's talk more about your role when you were at Shift Communications and you focusing on developing communication skills and you're working at an agency. Tell us more about what you learned and some of the skills you developed in that role. Working at Shift was a really great opportunity and I enjoyed the entire experience. So I was fortunate enough to have a team lead who was really hardcore into data science and analytics and really was able to teach me more about the technology and the methodologies of analyzing data which is something that I feel like everything I had learned up until that point about marketing, ironically, didn't include a lot of the heavy duty data analysis. So I was really able to dive in to that piece of it while letting the rest of the team or even the rest of the agency focus on writing the content and the storytelling when we could be the team who was producing the data to help make those decisions of what they should be doing. So it was very different in terms of context. And I felt like I was able to really dig into the back end more. It's funny that you went to a communications firm and the big takeaway was, here's how I use data You mentioned that you had somebody that walked you through the methodology. Tell me a little bit more about the methodology that you learned. Well, there was a few different methodologies that we applied. So one of the things that I was able to do coming out of the healthcare agency was to bring agile methodology into the communications firm and bring that to the marketing team since essentially they were... I'm putting this in air quotes, a lightweight engineering team, because there was a lot of database work. There was a lot of code involved. 
And that's where I really started to cut my teeth on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And it was a great crash course. And I was fortunate enough. So my VP at the time, who's now my business partner, was Chris Penn. And his sole focus is on artificial intelligence and machine learning and making processes more efficient taking big chunks of data and turning it into something that's actionable and insightful. So that's really what we focused on as the marketing technology team nestled within a communications agency. When you're doing this data analysis at this communications agency, are you mining databases and doing your analysis to try to come up with data that can be used to tell a story? Or what's the type of analysis that you're doing? That's exactly it. So the core function of the communications agency was obviously communications. So what we were doing was trying to support the decisions of what's the story to tell or supplement the story with an interesting data point, or we would look and find out what's trending in that particular industry and what should you be writing about? What's the white space? What are the words that people are using so that your story can be more impactful and get more SEO juice or be on topic and make sure you're hitting the right audience with the right words. And so that was really the function that the team played. So you were at the communication agencies for a little less than three years. You mentioned that you were reporting to, you said his name was Chris, your VP at the time. Mm -hmm. And eventually you two decided to go start Trust Insights. You and Chris are co-founders and you're the CEO. Tell me about how you decided on who would be the CEO where he was more senior than you at the previous roles. But when you rolled into starting your new company, you decided to be the chief executive officer. What's his role? Chris is the chief innovation officer. So when we were working at the agency, me coming in and taking over the team was a big relief for Chris because Chris is really best suited as an innovator, as an inventor, and his interest doesn't lie in managing the people, managing the team. And that's really where my strengths were or still are. So when we decided to spin off to do our own company, it was actually a very easy decision for both of us. It was never a well, I should be the CEO. No, I should be the CEO. He's not interested in being the person in charge. He just wants to be the person who's creating and inventing and learning. And for me, I'm better suited to run the ship and keep things moving forward. If I had to read back some of the things that you said in this interview, it sounds like what you learned along the way were a lot about process and product management in your first real career stop. You moved on to the communications agency where you understood a lot of what Chris's philosophy was and were able to adopt that in the sense of using data to understand how to communicate a story. And then you two took that shared knowledge and some of your product management and process experience and his, it's called data methodology, marry the two of those and start an organization where you are leading the organization. He is getting to be sort of the entrepreneur in residence or the innovator. And that's kind of how you decided to start the company. Am, am I getting it all right? That's exactly it. That's a great synopsis. So tell me a little bit more about what you're working on at Trust Insights. It's been a lot of fun. So we really get to do more of the cutting edge stuff that we were finding was a little bit too ahead for a communications agency. And unfortunately, we just weren't attracting the types of clients who would be interested in buying some of these services long term. So people would be interested in, if we said, hey, we have predictive analysis for you, they'd say, that's great. 
we love it. Oh, but we just don't have the budget for it or we can't justify it. So some of the things that we're working on now include uh, time series forecasting, that predictive analysis to figure out timing of when you should be publishing certain things or what keywords are going to be spiking. We can do more text mining, which means that we can take a large corpus of data and figure out what's this thing really about or hundreds of articles and what's the common thread between all of these articles. We can do driver analysis where we can determine of the 100 different variables that you could look at, what three are the ones that most influence conversions or people to convert? So what are the things that they care about the most? So we can really take a deep dive into the data and figure out that behavioral side and why people are making the decisions they're making, what's resonating and what we should be doing more of. Who are the type of customers that you're supporting? We're finding that... Our target audience at the moment is primarily B2B marketers. They're in mid-sized companies. And these are folks who have a decent amount of data. Perhaps they've been sitting on a few years of their own website analytics or CRM data. And they're really just not sure how to tie it all together or tap into it. And so that's where we come in. We can help them make sense of all of their own data that they're just sitting on. It's a goldmine for them. Okay. So this is your first time running an organization, your first time in an executive role. Talk to me about what the difference is between the director of marketing technology role that you had when you were at Shift Communications and being at the top of the totem pole. When I was running the marketing team at Shift, we were essentially operating our team as if it was its own company. So we had our own P&L, we had our own set of priorities, our own KPIs. So making the transition from that role into CEO in terms of skill sets wasn't very different. The things that I've learned are more around the incorporation documents, the legal side of things, the accounting side of things, like a deeper dive into the accounting. But in terms of running the organization, in my product manager role, in my director of marketing role, and now in this role, I personally have found that the skill sets are all very transferable. And a lot of times it's really about just collecting all of the information that you can about a certain thing and then making a decision. I wouldn't say that there's a lot of magic in being a CEO. Yes, there's a lot more pressure and it's all on your shoulders to succeed or fail, but it's not unlike running your own department or your own team. So tell me a little bit more about the relationship between you and Chris. I think it's interesting that gender aside, you two work together. He was more senior and then you rolled out and started your company together. What is that relationship like? It's been interesting. It's like no other professional relationship I'd ever really experienced. And I say that with all love and respect because I'm very fortunate in the sense that Chris doesn't care about gender at all. He cares about aptitude, he cares about attitude, and he cares about competency. And fortunately, he values those things and sees those things in me. So for him, it was an easy decision to say, yes, this is the person that I want leading my organization. If you ask him, I could be male, female, unicorn, wombat, like it doesn't matter to him as long as the job will get done well and that he is partnering with somebody that he can communicate with and trust. And I think that that has been such an eye-opening experience for me. And as he's seeing that my gender does play a role in things, he's been a great champion for trying to use his lengthy career and his network to help push me out into that spotlight as a champion for women in technology, women in MarTech, women in healthcare, 
because he also sees the importance of having somebody in that role. So I'm very fortunate in that respect. Now, this is the Women in MarTech Week, so I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a question about what role you think that your gender plays in running a very technology-driven agency. Obviously, you have to put your team together, and I'm sure it's a mix of both genders, but do you find that either inside of the organization or outside of the organization, your gender has any sort of impact in how you're viewed? It's been an interesting experience. People still default to Chris first, and rightly so. He is an expert in his field, but I can share this a bit of an anecdote. We were at a conference late last year, and Chris and I together were meeting with different vendors and talking with them. And what I would often find was that people would start talking with Chris, make eye contact with Chris, and just leave me in the background. And then they would say, oh, and what do you do? And Chris, before I could even respond, he'd say, that's my CEO. And suddenly their body language would change and their demeanor towards me and their attitude would change. And what I was finding was that people were mistaking me for Chris's assistant. So he took it upon himself, which I really appreciate and respect to correct them and say, actually, no, she's the one in charge. It's got to be a funny moment when somebody, you know, stands up straight and starts addressing you after they realize that you're not the assistant and you're actually the boss. Yeah. If I said I didn't take even a small amount of joy in that, I would be lying. I could imagine. I mean, honestly, it sounds, <laughs> I'm a guy. I would enjoy that moment. <laughs> Here's the thing that I appreciate about your career is that we had a very similar career path in the sense of early on, we had a couple of jobs that were not necessarily around our career. But you've developed skills at a couple of different companies. You spent a bunch of time developing product management and learning process. You went into a marketing agency and you were able to interpret and accept and adopt data-driven methodology. And now you've applied that in a leadership role. What advice do you have for women that are earlier in their career or that aspire to be in a technology-driven, a data-driven role and want to be leaders as well? What insights can you provide them that can help them along their journeys? Learn how to analyze and interpret data, even if it's something as basic as Google Analytics data. Really being the one to understand that is a very powerful position to be in because then you're the person who has the answers or you're the person who can influence the decisions. Don't be afraid to ask questions and just try to get your hands on as much information as possible. Never stop learning and always be curious. Well, Katie, I have to say thank you. It's fantastic to connect. I'm really excited to talk to you. And I think that how your career has developed, how you have embraced taking on a leadership role, developing skills, and, and also how the partnership you've formed with Chris, your co-founder, and the roles and the relationships that you have, I think is really inspirational and something that men and women together should aspire. And at the end of the day, you mentioned things like aptitude, understanding. I'm going to use a basketball metaphor here, but you know, it's kind of game recognizes game where if you are the person that has continually developed your skill set and continued to learn, male, female, black, white, yellow, green, brown, blue, none of that stuff matters. You know, At the end of the day, we live in a world where the expertise is really starting to shine through the most. So congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on starting the agency. And thank you for coming on and being our guest. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me.
Of course. Okay. That wraps up this episode of the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Katie Robert for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Katie, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send her a tweet at Katie Robert. That's K-A-T-I-E-R-O-B-B-E-R-T. Or you could visit her company's website, which is trustinsightswithans.ai. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could also reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening, don't worry, we've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com, where we have all of our show notes, transcriptions, and links to get in contact with our guests. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got great episodes lined up over the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.